0: Hi, and welcome to Fusion Focused. I'm your host Ella Fox-Widows, a PhD student studying plasma physics for fusion energy. The aim of this podcast is to showcase some cool and inspiring experts within the fusion energy field, highlight the variety of diverse careers available within fusion and chat with my guests about why they are passionate about fusion energy. Hope you enjoy! In this episode I'm joined by Emery Yildirim. A PhD student on the UK Fusion CDT programme at the University of Manchester. Here we chat about Emra's research into materials relevant for fusion machines, our work with the Fusion Industry Association, and what a day in the life of a PhD student looks like. Hi Emre, thank you for joining me for this episode. Hey hello. So, to start, what is it that you're currently working on in fusion?
1: So, um, I'm a PhD student uh, at the University of Manchester and I am solely focused on materials for the um exhaust region of the plasma. So it's a super super hot pit. The bit with all the the helium and the and the deuterium and tritium just getting pumped right out of the plasma when it's when it's not useful anymore. So it's a super super hot region, all sorts of interesting physics and, and engineering problems in there. And I'm just trying to work out how to find materials that can hack this kind of environment for as long as possible not forever but just as long as possible
0: awesome so then yeah taking it back you started a undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering after you finished secondary school which is also the same course that Anika did Anika graduated from what who is in a previous episode Uh, so we chatted about her experience but why did you decide to study mechanical engineering at degree level as opposed to other engineering subjects or STEM subjects physics?
1: I have to say uh, mechanical engineering was based on my lack of ability to um, choose and commit <laughs> and the nice thing about mechanical engineering is it's a bit of hedging your bets you, you're not committing yourself to any one industry you're still getting a lot of base important problem solving skills but you can really kind of explore the engineering space at university whereas I feel like by choosing something like for example some of my friends you're committing more to, to do aerospace where you can kind of angle a mechanical engineering degree towards the sector that you're interested in while you're kind of seeing what engineering is like because i you know i didn't know engineer, any engineers before i went to university i kind of did it because i was good at maths and physics and and you know that that's kind of it, it i it was sold to me as kind of like an applied maths kind of situation with with a bit of science thrown in there too um and yeah most of the reason why I chose it because I felt like I could definitely explore more of that stuff at university because it's tough to get exposure to to some of the really cool things about what you do at university before university unless you have Mm. lots of people that you know or or or, or kind of friends who have gone through that and and I really didn't have that so that was always nice I could explore it more there and and then after that obviously that kind of directed me down the materials route and maybe if I had my time again, I might have gone for material straight away. It made my life a lot easier right now. But I feel like the journey allowed me to kind of explore the other options, which for me as, as someone who is a commitment phobe in terms of <laughs> life decisions was was super, super useful, I think.
0: Yeah, you didn't want to close any doors, so you chose one with them. Never, doors. never. <laughs> it's interesting. I think a lot of the people, like, for example, Anika, and I also spoke with Alex Crudy from commonwealth fusion systems on the podcast and they're both you know mechanical engineer alumni uh graduates so it's quite interesting that like a lot of fusion people seem to do mechanical engineering what was it about manchester that drew you to want to study there
1: manchester was um i think with with so many people when they and i imagine it's quite difficult for the current generation and crop of people going through but going to university and really getting just a feel of how it is the people the city coming from like quite a small town uh, just kicking about in the south you don't really get a lot of um i don't get i knew london and i knew like birmingham and i knew like coventry and oxford like it's not you know a plethora of different exciting cities that i really knew very well so i really felt coming to manchester and envisioning it as my home it's it just had such a wonderful energy and there were the people there I think were very much in a similar vein of me and and really kind of it wasn't too big like London where you get too lost but it just had absolutely everything that I could want it had um so much more um diversity within the city that that I uh, uh in comparison to the town that I'm from and so, so much just so much more going on. You always felt like there was something going on, and I know everyone says that about London too. But I felt like London maybe you can get lost in a little bit, whereas I still feel like there's such a wonderful community and um, a real love for the city from the people who live in Manchester. With a lot of stuff where you're also just you know you're um, you're still you, you still have so much going on. There's something on every night there's lots of stuff to do in the evenings and there's lots of stuff to do in the day and I think that kept my quite erratic busy brain um <laughs> well it has kept it quite busy for for what uh, it's coming on six years now so
0: um
1: <laughs> yeah I think that's a that's a good sign
0: it sounds like it was a similar decision to your degree subject you didn't want to close any doors so you just wanted to have a lot of options to do in the evening and, and <laughs> Manchester was a place
1: <laughs> definitely there's it's a common theme um I want to have as much and as diverse things as possible to do um which maybe makes it difficult to commit to a certain things
0: sometimes <laughs> I spoke with Anika as well and she's uh you know did the same degree as you in Manchester and she said one of the things about Manchester similar to you you know lots of things to do and also she just loves the the food scene in, in Manchester Loads are delicious restaurants and massively tasty.
1: massively I think um it's it's probably the most important thing, in my opinion, when you're looking at a city. <laughs> it's, uh, it's where you can go to
0: eat. And then, after finishing your bachelor's degree, you went onto the Fusion CDT programme doing a PhD. Stayed at the University of Manchester, so you're on the material strand of the, of the CDT. So, firstly, why did you des- decide to start a PhD?
1: Well I'd love to tell you that when I was five I told my parents (laughs) I you know I wanted to be a a professor or something like that but it's more I think a lot of what drew me to a PhD was it I I really found in my final year but I really loved the, the research aspect of the project and fusion is something that I kind of always, it had been on my radar. Like I watched, I remember watching a documentary when I was younger. Um, I think I was like 11 or 12 and it had Brian Cox in it. And it was like a Horizon BBC one. And they just, and I just learned all about Fusion through that documentary. And I found it really interesting. And then I kind of forgot about it for a while. And then there's a massive nuclear community at Manchester. I started chatting to a lot of the people there and kind of Fusion came up as a topic. And then they kind of suggested that a lot of people in Fusion Will go through the PhD process because it's such a research-based research-based environment, or at least you know it's to be honest. Even in the the, what three years I've been doing it, it's become much more industry-focused as we move to try and really make one of these. But we when I first started looking at it in my second year, what 2016, 2017, it was still kind of spoken about as much more research-based kind of uh, situation, and I just thought. There are so many perks of a PhD. If you if you can hack the lack of pay and, <laughs> and those kind of things, if you're not worried about stuff like career progression and, and some stuff that we're, we're often told are really vital, if if you don't worry about stuff like that, then you have a, a stressful, but a, a very much your own kind of project that you can really direct and lead yourself. And I knew academics here already who kind of let me do that, and I think I wanted that freedom to really take it, take the part, take the path that I wanted to do, rather than kind of stick to some kind of script. And I think I guess it also uh, is in keeping with my my lack of closing doors. <laughs> the nice thing was I had every door open, and and as a PhD student, you really do you have every facility you could possibly want at your university or at other universities that you can try. And I think that kind of scope to just do whatever you wanted within obviously you know there, there are some some uh kind of conditions but you already are interested in the topic so you really just you can do whatever you want within that and obviously without a pandemic you also have wonderful travel opportunities and and you can you know um you can go stay at different institutions and that's what's drew me to the fusion cdt as well because they really encourage that kind of in uh international kind of collaboration with different institutions and people have done some really cool stuff and hopefully before my time's out I'll, I'll get to do a little bit of that too but yeah the kind of travel opportunities and everybody getting to experience and live in other places which I think is much more than just kind of going on holiday somewhere you really you know that's you can spend two three months at an institution and that's really something that's kind of massively encouraged and I think those kind of things make it really exciting and really interesting and really difficult as well because you have to you know get up every morning and no one's checking on you there's no one to you know you're not uh, clocking in and clocking out it's very much like you just got to be done all the four years and how you get to that is is by no means a straight line it's up and down and one week you might feel terrible and just not be able to do anything and nothing's working and another week you'll just get all the data that you need and and that is quite a roller coaster and that isn't for everyone but I think that kind of lifestyle is, is much more better for me than is much better for me than um than i think doing anything else um and uh, certainly while i'm still young and carefree <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: yeah uh, i recently spoke with melanie as well on, on the podcast and and she said one of the things that she liked about the phd is planning your own time and having the freedom to live your day the way you want to do it and structure your day mm-hmm. in your way definitely one of the benefits of doing a PhD I think it's interesting as well that in fusion specifically I think because in the UK at least you don't really learn about you know plasma physics in detail in depth or even like magnetism and things like that are, are more kind of high level degree subjects um in your second third and fourth years of, of your undergraduate degree so you don't really learn about that kind of thing until you kind of graduate and then Obviously, you want to learn more if you want to do fusion or plasma physics. So, I think that's why a lot of people in the field have PhD. It's peak their interest and they yeah. want to learn more.
1: It's it's not, yeah, it is. Yeah, they're 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 not going to go massively in depth about quite niche niche physics that you that you need for um for fusion. Which has um, so, sense, yeah. but
0: it it crosses boundaries between different subjects as well. You know, fluid dynamics and electromagnetism and everything. So, you need to build up that knowledge. That's why um. So you mentioned a little bit like why you decided to join the Fusion CDT and you know the international collaboration is quite encouraged at, at the CDT and there's a lot of support to do that. Why did you originally kind of look into Fusion? What was it about Fusion that you wanted to study further?
1: I think so. I think I want to do something to do with renewable energy. I think I always had a kind of leaning towards um, kind of how how we power our our systems in general. I, I think it's quite interesting. It's not something. And I think just if anyone's listening who's thinking about doing a PhD, I wasn't sat there contemplating um, our energy systems beforehand and, and really caring about it much outside of my degree. But I think just when pressed on kind of what you want to do, and kind of having little snippets. So in my my dissertation, I I did a little bit on fusion and that kind of gave me that little toe, like dip my toe in it and kind of helped me explore it more. We don't have to be some like massive brain box, because I certainly am not, but who's, who's, you know, sat there every night, you know, caring about how we power our energy systems. But it is interesting and you can find that stuff interesting just through kind of just through you know the old YouTube video that you watch or, or anything like that. And I always found that really interesting and I always found renewable energy really interesting. And I thought that kind of how we solve, you know, intermittent power and, and base load supply, I think it was always gonna put me down either the energy storage route or kind of the nuclear route. And I, with fission and, and with high levels of radioactive waste and with the way that there's a lot of public perception to do with it, I think, Fission was always going to be a difficult one for me to necessarily go down when I didn't know a lot about it. I think my opinions probably changed more having known about it more, and I kind of have warmed to the idea probably mm. bit, um, as I've got kind of more into it. But yeah, I just thought I thought fusion was just a really great way of solving all these problems. But it was also just like it's everything that you read in science fiction. It's in every book when you know you read anything about you know twenty one hundred when we're all trying to colonize the stars or or whatever it's all to do with like it's all that and and obviously when you're sat there and you're working on your tiny little sample it sometimes doesn't feel like it but if you just kind of zoom out you really feel like you're participating in in something that that like people read about and people kind of dream about mm. happening to our to our society and, and even if I'm contributing to that in like a tiny way i think that for feels for me it feels really rewarding mm. and it's just so exciting and and you can kind of you know, I've been on, uh, <laughs> I don't know, but, you know, you, you meet new people out and about and, uh, you know, as soon as I get into the topic, I really have to be, like, stopped a little bit because <laughs> I like, I find it so interesting and, like, I think really loving what, you know, what what's that phrase, um, love what you do and, and never work a day in your life or mm. something like that. And, like, I certainly feel like some days I'm working, like, I'm not saying at all that I've, I've been, you know, <laughs> having it breezy and, and feel all good every day, but I think fundamentally, I feel lucky enough that I can go down this route, and and really just like it is just such like an exciting topic, and I can be excited about my work with other people. And like mm-hmm. you don't want to like I've I've always promised myself that I would never be that person who, if I was a you know, handing my mates in a year and like six months down the line, I would want to when they say how's work been, I want to just be like telling them actually how's work been. I just want to be like I don't even just be like yeah it's been alright, or like do you know what I mean. I want to be like oh we were doing this really cool thing the other day or um I've been doing this project that I find really interesting and they'll probably find it really boring and <laughs> that's okay but for me I just want to be excited about what I do and I think with a PhD as well and I think I would have probably thought more about a master's if I had the um the kind of cash to do one um I don't like have a family who necessarily can support me to do a master's or anything like that so it would have taken me I would have to take a year out and worked. which I think it's quite common with a lot of people. So the PhD was a little bit of a punt and it was kind of a hope that I could go from my bachelor's to a PhD and kind of save myself having to pay a lot of money to to go do one. Cause I, I wanted to do um initially a master's in um the Netherlands, which was two years. Then I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to have a year out to earn at least enough to do it so that's three years and a PhD is four years and it's a PhD instead of a master's so I was like you know what I might just like I'll take a punt on this and kind of give it a go like that and I got really lucky and I, I feel very lucky that I, that I obviously got onto it um, but I think the nice thing about PhD is you, you do have that support and I think for so many people who maybe don't have that kind of um, financial support from family members or, or relatives or anything like that you still get to experience all of the wonderful things about research. but You don't have to worry about, you know, your parents bankrolling yeah. you. Do know I mean, or, or anything like that? Because you do get that kind of you are paid. It's not loads, but you are paid, and you can really feel like you can do a lot, and and your ceiling is so high of, of what you can do. Mm. I know that's not necessarily to do the question that you asked me. But I just no, it's, good, it's I a good
0: Yeah, no, it's a good motivation to wanting to do a PhD. I think a lot of people who. Uh, doing their undergraduate degree, I, at least uh, like I didn't know anybody when I was doing my my undergrad who was doing a PhD, like personally. So it's, it was cool to hear that you actually got paid for it, rather than you know going into more debt, student debt, <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> and also things like I I thought that I had to do a master's to do a PhD. So my course was an integrated master, so it was quite cool, and I, I'm glad I did that. But it is like, interesting to to hear from your point of view where you kind of went straight from bachelor's to PhD, skipped the the master step, which is cool.
1: A bit of a pun yeah. But <laughs> it's nothing to do with my, um, Yeah, it, it was more of a pun
0: think,
1: than, uh, which which we all need sometimes.
0: And with the CVC as well, the center for doctoral training that we're both on, there's that period of time at the beginning where you get like six months of training and lectures and things. So you do get kind of provided with information and education at the beginning, so you're not dropped in the in the deep end of research straight away.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think that those bits are so important. Like they're great for like team building like you you meet you know as opposed to just what is quite isolating in in the phd if there's just like four or five of you in a group mm-hmm. you have like your 20 20 person cohort across all the different unis and you meet them and you you know you do all your lectures together and you complain about how difficult plasma physics is if you're someone like <laughs> me um, and then you ask the people who can actually do the plasma physics so you get to know <laughs> them like that and then you know you have the lovely social spits and they always try and organize lots of social stuff you're always like out having a meal or, or you know i think at york we did like a games night or something Mm -hmm. and you you really have like loads of bonding and you're living together and all that kind of stuff and i think that's so lovely because i i have such wonderful friends from the cdt because of it and i think as you get older it's just harder to make those kind of really good connections with people and i feel really lucky that i got another really focused opportunity to find people that that i can you know i can still ring up and be like oh god like and they understand my situation as well so i can just ring them up and be like oh god um I'm trying to do blah blah and they're like yeah yeah yeah, like it's so tough to do that or like Mm. they kind of understand that some stuff's just a bit of a ball ache and and you need to and you need to be able to vent that sometimes Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes I imagine if you do just a PhD in just a little group you might not want to always you might not have those kind of shared experiences with the people in your research Mm -hmm. group they might be older they might be whatever So you might not feel that when you're a bit isolated that you can call on people and I think it's been such a blessing at so many times especially you know trying to do a PhD in a pandemic I can bring my mate and he'll be like yeah I did no work this week and I'll be like oh my god thank god I didn't know (laughs) what I mean sometimes you just need to hear that it's a really massive bonus of it for you.
0: Yeah I spoke with Laura in a previous episode who's in Oxford and and she also kind of said that that's one of the benefits of the CDT programme because we're all kind of in it together and it, it just kind of form these bonds that you don't necessarily get if you're kind of just at one university in a small group. Great, it's nice to be able to rant to people who understand your situation. For sure, <laughs> for sure. So, would you be able to explain a little bit about your PhD project? Like, what are you actually researching?
1: Yeah, so so I've um, I've made up. So basically. As I briefly mentioned earlier, I kind of my focus is the exhaust of the plasma and materials that can withstand that area. And that's called the diverter region. And currently, we, in our, in our, lots of our designs for, for our future fusion devices such as demo or, or, or step, if you're in the UK or, or, or such like, we use tungsten for that. And tungsten's tungsten is great. Tungsten has a high melting point. It's a really, really great thermal connectivity. Um, and not, uh, a high Z, um so uh, uh, it's a heavy material so it's not gonna be flying off into your plasma anytime soon um <laughs> although it does sometimes happen uh but but you know it, it it's it's pretty good in a lot of respects there's some pretty rubbish bits as well um you get when you get really really high energy neutrons which you're producing the plasma and they interact with your tungsten atoms you get your tungsten atoms actually change into other atoms so they change into rhenium or, or osmium and then these elements actually kind of, when, when you're creating all of all of this damage, they kind of like to stick together. And what happens is you create all these horrible phases within the material and they're super brittle, which means that you're gonna have all these weak points within your material. And then sometimes you're gonna produce um, helium through, through this transmutation process as well. So when it converts to something like, um, sometimes tungsten goes from rhenium and the rhenium goes back down to tantalum, and then you're going to produce a, a helium atom. And as we know, helium is a gas. So then you get all this gas kind of agglomerating in the material. And then you also have helium from the plasma coming into the surface. And as you can tell by me going on 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 about these bits, <laughs> there are lots of problems with tungsten as well. Mm-hmm. So what I have tried to look at is how we can alloy tungsten, as you do to make steels. So steels are just alloys of iron, basically. So it's kind of like we're trying to do a similar thing with um, with tungsten. So I'm, I'm looking at alloying it with tantalum, which is a, a, an element that sits just right next to it on the periodic table. And basically I'm just putting it through the ringer. So I'm, I'm, I've am I'm exposed it to a helium plasma to kind of mimic some of those conditions. Um, I'm going to use like high energy iron beam radiations to to kind of mimic some of your, your damage that you get from the neutrons along with some of that transmutation that we were talking about earlier where where you get the helium production and I'm just going to basically put it through the ringer and kind of see how how they stack up um, which is kind of fun and I've kind of found some like new and interesting stuff through that um, and obviously day to day I'm not using these plasma devices there'll be a few weeks out of, the, out of the time of my PhD I'm not you know I don't want you to be too excited about uh, about what I get up to. I'm not always just just sitting around um, using one of them. Although to be fair, some people do do stuff like that uh, within the CDT. Um, but then a lot of what I do is kind of microscopy work. After that, so uh, using like electron microscope. So instead of a light microscope, um, which uses light, you use electrons instead because um, they have a shorter wavelength. So you can kind of look at um, you can resolve much smaller structures within your material. So um, I can kind of go down to the uh, nanometer and even like the atomic scale in, in some of these. so um, you can really just have a good sense of, uh, of what's going on on the re- like the atomic level and then kind of how that how that builds up in, in the kind of bigger picture of some of the changes that you're seeing. So what I've tried to do is is alloy tungsten with with tantalum and kind of yeah, just just see how how it's holding up on on in respect to, to some of these kind of fusion relevant conditions. I love to do everything. But um, I don't think I'll quite get around to doing everything mm-hmm. ever, as much as I did. I uh, promised my supervisor at the beginning that um, I was going to do this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we started to get a bit of reality check. And uh, I think we were throwing a big one last year, which kind of means that you have to focus on maybe smaller bits, which, which is understandable. Um, yeah. And that, so I'm just going to kind of see see how they're stacking up. And um, they're stacking up well in some ways. And and not so good in some other ways so so we'll see what i recommend at the end you can watch the space and that i'm sure it'll be headline news on on the once once it's out
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah once you're done we'll have to do like a where are they now episode of of yeah. that sounds very interesting and, and super important for fusion tungsten really vital to know about and anika also mentioned that her research is kind of focused on tungsten as well yeah big one big player for fusion I asked this question to Laura and it's a bit of a I don't know how you're going to react to this but it's a bit of a dreaded question but what kind of job do you think you'd like to get after you finish the PhD?
1: I think if you'd asked me that at the beginning um I would have probably swerved the question or done some (laughs) kind of political answer of, of trying to avoid actually responding but I think as I as I go through I think um I think I'm warming to the idea of, of a lot of the kind of the academic roots. I think it's quite a nice lifestyle still. And I think it can be quite interesting, but I think what's massive in fusion is, is the private sector. And I think that's just growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd love to see myself sitting in a job at a private fusion venture. Cause I feel like because of the CDT and because of how broad our knowledge is given to us at the beginning, and then obviously we go through and we really focused on on what is quite a small industry. I think like even now, and I think obviously later on, you really get a good idea of just that bigger picture. So I think in a kind of fast moving, some kind of fusion startup, I think would be really good for me. Again, it would be something that I'd have quite like um, a diverse range of stuff to do, which I think is important to me too. What my actual job title would be um it would be kind of like fusion power overseer or something like that where I could just like direct operations from like my little uh, control room somewhere and like tell everyone to do this and that but um, I don't know if that's gonna be the first job I get out of fusion um but yeah so something like that or something abroad I think you know academia is so oriented in a way that you can you do have the opportunity to do so much stuff abroad and I think if we've had a year where we can't even go abroad so why not go away for years and 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 really just like have a go in all these places i think if i told myself 10 years ago that i would have been able to do a lot of those things and then i and then i didn't do them i'd have been quite disappointed in in that so i think mm-hmm. i do have to take opportunities if they do come up getting to do something like that i i, I think would be exciting and yeah so something abroad something like an exciting little startup and uh yeah i think you gain so many skills that could just be applied to so many different things within a phd and then mm-hmm. not not about how much I know about tungsten. Um, it's more gonna be how much, how can you manage a project, how can you communicate with people effectively, how can you, you communicate your ideas well? All these kind of things are so important, but they're kind of soft skills that are learned like indirectly throughout your PhD. You have to present, you have your big viva at the end, but you're presenting throughout your PhD at conferences. Um, you have to get people to do work for you because you can't do the whole project yourself and managing people and and how how many times you email them before you go find them in their office um how you word those emails do you know what i mean like yeah. so really like subtle things that is just like basically project management which is kind of if, if you if you were handling a project all by yourself in a company you'd be so much higher up than something that you do straight out of uni so i feel like you really learn skills that are going to be so beneficial to you and i don't think you'll come out earning load in the private sector earning loads and loads of cash more you'll probably learn exactly the same as or like maybe a bit more than you did if you just came out with a master's but the kind of skills that you learn I think would just be so beneficial in so many of those environments and mm-hmm. I think um yeah that'd be really cool to use in, in a lot of respects.
0: yeah one of the things that uh, Alex said from Commonwealth Using Systems I asked him in, in in the previous episode like what uh, what does he think the benefits are to working in a private fusion company as opposed to a public lab and one of the things that he said that he thought was kind of one benefit um, obviously it's similar if you want to do research then you, you get real world applications and you're making a difference in both but you he, he thinks in his role at Commonwealth Fusion Systems that you know you have a wider you know knowledge of the, what goes into making a fusion plant and regulation and public engagement and all that kind of thing comes into it. it. Seems super exciting. Definitely. So me and you also co-host the Fusion News Extra podcast and we work with the Fusion Industry Association. So what does this work entail? Can you tell us a little bit um, and what made you want to get involved in the FIA, Fusion Industry Association?
1: Yeah, so, so the, the, the work that we do is obviously amazing. Um, first and foremost <laughs> uh, yeah. No, we... out there. <laughs> yeah um yeah so so we um we obviously as a fusion news extra team as well as just the fusion news team so the fia is the the non-profit um organization that kind of encompasses all of the different private fusion ventures um both kind of keep like partners actually making few fu- you know fusion plants and, and commercializing fusion but also just kind of People involved in kind of the um,
0: supply chain,
1: in, and stuff like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, it's a it's quite a, a big thing. And then there were these uh, we were doing these like fusion news updates. So um, every couple of weeks, a YouTube video would go out, and it'd be either one of us or, or some of the rest of the team kind of chatting about what's gone on in fusion for a couple of weeks uh, the, over the last couple of weeks. And then we kind of had this idea where we could. Um, maybe interview some of the people from these stories and just kind of have a chat with them about, about the news story, what they thought of it. You know, th- these news stories are kind of like, they're very, um, press releasey. They're very, um, they have to be worded in, in certain ways and they're not going to be like a chatty thing where, where necessarily, um, the exact person the story is about gets to speak absolutely everything that they want to say. So we were just kind of given an opportunity to kind of, um chat about the story in kind of from their perspective and then also kind of add any other bits and then that they wanted to share so it's basically the interview that the um that you see in the story um them kind of uh, chatting it would be it's basically that but it's not cut down and put into an article it's just a very just fluid conversation with with someone and uh, i think what's really exciting about it is we talk to people who are really big like we, we spoke to you know uh, the other week um it was like the cto of uh, te technologies or someone like alex as you just mentioned who's really big in in Commonwealth fusion systems and i think the lovely thing about fusion is that we have exposure to these people but also it's really lovely for us because you know we probably got a good idea about what it's like to 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 do that and i think other people who are interested in fusion can can chat to um, an academic or or, or someone in the in the private sector and kind of learn about a little bit about the process of what goes in and Mm. just as Alex was saying that he gets to do through his role at at CFS we kind of got a bit of an insight into that and I think for us it's been really rewarding and hopefully for other people it's it's also been um, super rewarding and um, I think going into it I don't think I necessarily thought that's what we'd end up doing Mm. but I think um, the lovely thing about The um, FAAs and and the fusion news bit is is a lot about science communication, and it's about how people communicate their ideas. And science communication is so key, and there are so many examples of where it's gone wrong. I think just look at the fishing sector as as a as a, a a real example of of where one of the safest ways of generating electricity is probably the one that is feared by the most people. Yeah, and obviously. I'm not, you know, downplaying anything like Chernobyl. These things are obviously terrible accidents. But if you look at the stats, it's actually one of the safest technologies. Like it's safer than, you know, wind turbine generation. Don't necessarily quote me on that, but I do believe that's the case. <laughs> and and um, things like
0: coal and things, coal, coal-induced illnesses are um, massive. Definitely. And yeah, I don't know the exact stats, but the
1: massively, yeah, I, th- I think we had our first, we had our first case of um, death. Put down to actual air pollution in london last year and i think we're going to get more and more of that and and to think that we're still generating with those technologies and people are more scared of nuclear fission is just a massive example of where science communication can go wrong and i think really learning how to do that and kind of seeing what goes into it for we do and work with fia is definitely just what drew me to it mm-hmm. and i think um yeah and no, i just love having a chat do you know what i mean <laughs> always helps with the extra ones it's uh You can just sit down and have a chat with with someone new and 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 kind of just get to know them a little bit and and humanize them sometimes as well because like i think i saw a talk by by artem someone of the, the cto um he did a little talk for our um our weekly fusion meetings thing um that we have at manchester and it was wonderful and it was really great and he was so like email me and so like you know just chat to me about it that's really cool but there's always that bit that's like realistically i'm probably not going to email you i'm sure you will reply but realistically i you know i'm just like a little do student like blah, blah blah like doing all my little bits on my computer i'm not going to go and email the cto of a fusion company do you know what i mean like there is that barrier whereas i kind of got this additional route whereas i just got to sit down and have a chat with him and it massively humanized him and he's just a really nice guy who really loves fusion and that's kind of what we're all trying to do and he just wants to get fusion on the grid and we all kind of want to get fusion on the grid and there's so much that we have in common with these people and then you can have a really nice chat. And I think um, it could be really inspirational at times as well to kind of just see people who are, um, although I, I, he's obviously a massively intelligent person, he's also a, a normal person as well. And he's not, you know, I think we can sometimes look at people like that and, and expect them to have drunk some special serum or, or have some, you know, additional gene kicking about. <laughs> But actually they're just normal people who really love the same stuff that we love and they're good at their job because they love it. And I think so much of being good at something is just loving it. And that's kind of what I'm learning slowly, is that people are just really excited to talk about it. And the more excited you are, I just think the, the better you are gonna be at your job. And I think um that's probably for me what I've learned is the biggest ingredient over academic ability or or anything like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I'm really grateful for this opportunity that we've we've had with Fusion News and and Fusion Industry Association. I think it's sure. really given us skills that with science communication and presenting and yeah, speaking to people who are really passionate about fusion and communicating that to people who don't know anything about fusion. And that's a really you know important part of science. And I think yeah, very grateful for this last year of those opportunities. And it's what inspired me to want to do this podcast because I just realized that there are lots of really really interesting people in fusion and they all kind of, you know, want the same thing to get viable commercially viable fusion and all working towards the same thing and have very interesting stories.
1: We'll have to do a reverse a reverse interview thing uh, <laughs> later on. I'll, I'll, I'll interview you for yours if, uh, if you want.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the Fusion News, you know, the, the roundup that happens every two weeks is really interesting. You get to hear about all the really exciting updates that have happened in the last couple of weeks in Fusion. And it, it does, you know, there's a lot of news all the time. There, it is exciting field. So, yeah, everyone, check out the Fusion News YouTube channel and um, the, the Fusion Industry Association social media pages, and check out my memories podcast, Fusion News Extra.
1: Definitely.
0: Uh, what does a day in the life of a PhD student at the University of Manchester look like? I know it's a bit of a difficult question to answer at the moment. It's a it's a bad time to ask you, given the, the pandemic. But maybe, you know, split sort it of into two parts pre-pandemic. What was the day in the life and, and in the last year or so? What's it been like?
1: Yeah so um uh my pre-pandemic life was um yeah it it was a lot of so so uh, as we said before it's a lot of managing your own time so um a lot of my life would look like um it, it, it a, a lot of it would be so it's basically split up my work is split up into going on a microscope Learning how to use a microscope as well, which is probably the bulk of what you do on a microscope um, for the first like two years, is learning how to use one. And then at the back end, you might be able to have some vague knowledge of how it works. <laughs> um, and then the other bit is just analyzing a lot of that data. And then, and this kind of microscope idea bit kind of encompasses a lot of different things. So there's not just one microscope, there are lots of different ones. There are lots of different techniques that could be done within the microscopes. And that is the kind of stuff that will vary. But a lot of the day is just really broken up into those two things. And um, it could be a whole day that I'm sat on a microscope, it could be half a day, but really it's that it's reading a lot of literature to kind of work out what what the hell's going on with, with my stuff, and then kind of just have a look at have a look at the data and kind of analyzing a lot of that. And it's nice because with a lot of the microscopy work, that's a really practical thing that you're doing, and that's probably some of the easiest stuff to get yourself up and motivated for. Sitting on a massive pile of data that you know you need to just get through and analyze isn't the most exciting thing always. Um, but so so it's it can really just be put down to those really simple things and it's kind of just learning about your literature, getting some data and analysing it. But what is within that is so multifaceted multifaceted and complicated that kind of it is tough to almost describe. But I think the best way of looking at those things is a lot of that is just directed by your project and a lot of that stuff for me is just kind of trying to use lots of interesting different techniques and chat to people who can already use them and there's a lot of communication within kind of that I send a lot of emails to people who are better at these things than me um, but yeah so a lot of that it is kind of how I split up my day but the nice thing is that can be done at any time um, you know you could going on a weekend if you want to take an extra day off the next week or or if you you know those kind of things can kind of be done like that and uh i try and keep it as nine to five as i can just to kind of keep myself in rhythm with the rest of society i don't want to become someone who's working you know 10 till four in the morning um i think that would probably uh that would probably not be very good for for me trying to finish my phd if if, i was uh a man of the night. But um, but I think, uh, yeah, I try and keep it nine to five as much as I can. You probably work more than that um overall. But yeah, you can you can be flexible. Um, the other morning it was super sunny. So I just took the morning off and sat and had a coffee and a cake outside. Mm-hmm. So um, it can be nice. That is sometimes a day in the life of, of a
0: <laughs> coffee, and coffee
1: and cake. Coffee and cake. And then other times it's, it's sat stressing a microscope or, or breaking one of your samples because you've been an idiot. But,
0: um,
1: yeah. It's a range, mm. <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> and then so when you do have free time or when you want to take a day when it's sunny outside, what do you usually do in your free time?
1: Well, apart from obviously coffee and cake, um, an essential part of everyone's life, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean I love food, like we talked talking about earlier. Like I just love food. I'll go, you know, we have so many restaurants and interesting different things in Manchester. Um, I do a lot of that, obviously pre-pandemic. Um, loved loved a good event in some dingy little industrial park somewhere, <laughs> um, very much something that i that I'd enjoyed doing. um Yeah, a lot lot of music, a lot of music that kind of you wake up with a headache because you know ears still ringing. That kind of music and there's a lot of that kicking about in Manchester too. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of stuff like that. A lot of my stuff revolves around things that we haven't been able to do <laughs> for the last year, um, oh, no.
0: unfortunately.
1: I'm very much excited about. Uh, stuff uh open it back up i've I've just bought some tickets to something today actually so let's all pray for for kind of end of august september that we can actually all be out there because um my schedule is pretty booked from then on so so we'll have to hope for that
0: yeah fingers crossed and then just before i let you go do you have any advice for anyone that is wanting to pursue a career slash, you know, the beginning of their education uh, in fusion or engineering, uh, mechanical engineering. Um, yeah, do you have any tips?
1: I probably have a thousand different tips, but that's partly because I sometimes love the sound of my own voice and then <laughs> I would love to just talk for hours. But I think the biggest thing is just to relax and know that, trust yourself enough that you're going to be fine in whatever you do and just find something that you enjoy. And as I said earlier, you know, love what you do and never work a day in your life is is kind of like a, a half truth, but it's a half truth more than anything else anyone will ever tell you. And there are so many things that we prioritise in life and we're told to prioritise in life, like money and career and stuff. But it really is all of, those are all just methods to get happiness. And I think if you can just love what you do, then you can genuinely be a ha- just a happy person in your life, and and I'm not saying it means that everything else is going to go right, and it also means you're going to find the love of your life <laughs> in in the first day if you're doing a PhD. <laughs> do you know I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, like the you know, but I really think just just finding something that you love, and the wonderful thing about doing a PhD is you have, you can just get right into the subject and find out what you enjoy. So I think yeah, the biggest thing is just find a topic that you enjoy, and just chat to everyone, chat you know people like us don't mind being harassed to, to talk to talk about, you know, what we're doing or give you advice. Like I, I chatted to someone who's looking at the CDT the other day and um, we, just, we just had a nice chat about what, what she wanted to do and, and why she wants to do it and whether she should choose Manchester. And I said, you know, you should choose Manchester for these reasons. But also I think she was looking at Birmingham too. I was like, there are some really great reasons why you go to Birmingham. We're not going to like push you in any kind of direction. And we really love what we do. And I think, um, if you're ever interested in anything find people who are really good at it and most of them are going to be willing to talk to you about it because they're going to be good at it because they mm-hmm. love it so just find those people and, and just chat to them and don't worry if 10 people don't reply because you're the 11th might and you can just have that half an hour chat that will completely change like sometimes the you know I still remember mine like will change the course of what you do for the rest of your life and I think that's so nice just to chat to people who are excited about it so yeah, firstly relax you're going to be fine and secondly just chat to people um they're more than willing to to, to help you out
0: awesome i think that's so some great advice i think there are loads of people in fusion that are really really willing to talk about their careers and their experiences as proven by this podcast <laughs> yes, that's, true. that's great thanks emory i think one of the things as well that is really cool about fusion you said earlier that you heard about it from documentaries and things when you were younger and it's this sci-fi everyone wants it type science and there are a lot of the marvel movies and that passengers film that has like fusion space travel and yeah (laughs) things like that fusion
1: and octopus spider-man 2 was it yeah yeah classic
0: great fun (laughs) <laughs> I think it, it's quite exciting that fusion a lot of people are really invested in fusion really excited about fusion I, I was reading Stephen Hawking's final book and there's a quote in there have you seen that he was asked kind of like what is one scientific I, I'm paraphrasing but it was kind of like what is one scientific endeavor that you'd like to see happen and he said fusion energy
1: yeah that's I mean that's
0: endorsed by <laughs> exactly that says it
1: all that says it all from the man itself
0: <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time, Emre. Thank you for coming on the
1: No, thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Fusion Focused. If you'd like to know when the next episode will be released or would like to get in touch, you can find the Fusion Focused podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Fusion Focused. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next time.